This week on Media Delta, The Pirates of Dark Water, Part 1. In case you ever wondered what Hanna-Barbera would be like if they had a budget. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Media Delta. Um, we're talking about kind of a weird thing that I've kind of always somewhat been fascinated by because it's something that I've never watched when it came out, but it was something that I was aware of. Um, long, long time ago in Retro and Rhapsody days, uh, we have we're, we took a look at a pair of games uh, based on Pirates of Dark Water, a Hanna-Barbera cartoon that aired in the early 90s that um, always had kind of a cult following, but uh, I had never watched. So when we were playing it, I didn't really have a whole lot of, you know, thing to look at. But uh, th that actually was those games were actually one of the things that actually prompted me to think about doing uh, this Media Delta. Well, Media Delta in general, um, because it's something, yeah, like I I mentioned, it's something that I've always been fascinated by, but never actually watched. So um, in this episode, we watched um, we watched uh, the first six episodes of Pirates of Darkwater, which in turns turns out to be the first season plus one. Um, so we're kind of mostly discussing the first season of Pirates of Dark Water in this episode. Uh, in about two weeks, we're going to do another episode talking about a few more episodes into season two, uh, so we can get kind of a feel on how that goes. And as I've mentioned, uh, I use we because multiple people watch this. Uh, so, uh, who do I have with me? Hi, I'm X, and I'm here to find some ancient treasure! I'm Norman Rafferty, and I'm here to think of the poor, starving monkey birds. Uh, I'm Torpid Typhus, and I'm here to get devoured by a giant boat. Yeah, um... So, as you can imagine, uh, Pirates of Dark Water is, in fact, a show about pirates and also of dark water. Um, except when you just kind of think of it like that, this is not your normal pirate show um, because it is there's like, quite a bit of sci-fi also involved. Um, and there's kind of a lot to kind of unwrap here. or there's It's kind of open to questions, so I am going to forego our normal question format. And instead, we're just going to kind of go round robin and kind of just bring up stuff we want to talk about. Um, so, uh, Axe, uh, why don't we at least start with uh, what are your general impressions and what is something you'd want to bring up? Uh, I mean, general impressions are it's, it's as good as I remembered it being. Uh, I enjoyed rewatching this and uh, Pirates of the Dark Water was actually kind of a big part of my my own childhood. I even had a I had a personalized book where they had the main character was you with your name in it. And I know it's dorky and all that, but I was a kid. Shut up. <laughs> but it was a, one of, a one dorky of my... kid. <laughs> exactly. I was a dorky kid. And it was one of my, my more treasured, treasured little mementos. But I mean, if we're, if we're to talk about this, we have to talk about how it's, uh, we, we mentioned this a, a number of times. It's, it's, it's a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, but with a budget. And it definitely does show at least in the first five episodes um and it's 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 a lot of fun to watch it's a lot of fun to to uh engage with um the characters are all interesting uh each one is different in their own ways uh the voice acting is really good um i could i could say it 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 does have a an odd pacing to it where it's kind of really fast in a number of episodes, but in other episodes, it kind of 
slows itself down a bit and allows the allows you to kind of glean what's going on and like catch up to to the show whereas like some episodes it's really hard to kind of stay on track with what they're doing um but my general impressions are it's still an enjoyable enjoyable watch uh anything in particular i'd like to to talk about is the fact that it never got finished it's probably the this the the worst part about it and at no fault of the show i would i would say but it still sucks that there's no proper ending to it please 13 ghosts of scooby do it for us somebody yeah uh that is one thing going into it that uh is kind of infamous that this show lasted for like 21 episodes and that's it uh like the kind of the MacGuffins of this are the 13 treasures of rule and they only got eight eight out of eight out of 13 yes yeah so it definitely never got finished although i believe the genesis game has an ending like you get all 13 treasures and i didn't play far enough to get into that because that game wasn't that great but nonetheless <laughs> um and pointedly came out a year after it was off the air yeah that's a that's a pretty late genesis game if i remember correctly 94 yep that's that's a definitely a late genesis game um and yeah uh it is i can definitely see why like yeah it, you could definitely tell the budget that went into this um because there are very few if any reused content like it's you don't get the staple Hanna-Barbera jank I guess I mean, no there's still jank I, don't... There, there's some but, but it's not the less... hard it's not the hard jank that you yeah, you yeah, get yeah. I was just saying, there's definitely jank there's like animation errors here and there especially going so like real quick uh, going into the second season there's a notice noticeable dip in quality yeah there yes. is um yeah there's there's like some coloring errors that are definitely noticeable uh but like compared to say something like oh i don't know snagglepuss or something like that God, don't trip <laughs> over that bar yourself Pac-Man. <laughs> this is so it's it's still not as good as the greatest hanna-barbera property harvey birdman attorney at law it is the best one you get the thing i said yeah <laughs> but no it's it's the, the um Shit, my brain fell apart as I was coming up with the point. Um, yeah, no, like that—that's true. There, the, you don't see too much of uh, a reused backgrounds, reused animations, but you do still get, you know, the smears. You still get some of the little things that are very uh, trade trademark uh, Hanna Barbera in terms of of its animation jank. I love when my facial features don't line up at all. Or the head moves a little bit too quickly for the lips. Like, it's very subtle at times, but it definitely does happen. You ever see a Zelda CDI game? God, please yeah. don't talk about this. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the vibe I think most of us were getting. No, but I, this is good quality. Yeah. CDI quality was terrible. I could kind of see the, like over animated a little bit in some cases yeah, there were some weird over animated bits but it was still like fucking hanna-barbera jank and i still don't understand it yeah yeah but yeah there was like weird amounts of motion for a lot of the shit they did 
I appreciate that you still have that yeah. as an emote. Yeah, thankfully, uh, we are using Discord to record this, and in my server, I have the whole damn intro to Faces of Evil as an emote, so when in time that I need to pull it up as a reference, I can do it on the fly. <laughs> and I'm watching it right now, and I can kind of see where the over-animatedness, like, this animation is really shit, but it also is kind of over-animated in the same way that Pirates of Dark Water is sometimes. But like, exaggerated motions. Yes, ex exaggerated is probably a better phrase. I think, Torpid, you pointed out that they move their heads a whole lot when they talk throughout this, yeah, the, uh, the series. In general, they move their bodies and heads a lot when talking or doing anything. Gesticulate wildly. They they put they, they they almost put Stan the salesman to shame. <laughs> yeah, the Monkey Island games. Yeah, no uh no moving plan though. I immediately went. Game. I immediately started thinking of those uh, inflatable flailing arm tube men. Because <laughs> not far off. Uh, because it's interesting to to talk about that because it's like they really wanted this show to look really good because you could tell they spent a lot of money on it. But we're all in agreement that what they got was a bizarre kind of over-animated look where it's obvious they're paying for a lot of frames. They're not doing the recycled backgrounds or the limited animation of recycled walk sequences. They're obviously, like, they want it there, but what they're doing is just goofy and distracting. Yep. It also, like, I'm looking, they, they list the actual animation studios that are involved Ooh, in the yeah. show. Um, they are all... Also, I'd imagine this is a logistical nightmare. They're located all over the place because you have on its uh, Wikipedia. Well, yeah, not, not as much because I did some research on this. Um, uh, well, backpedal a little bit. So this show starts its genesis in 1989. About then, uh, Hanna Barbera is still riding pretty high off of another fantasy show called The Smurfs, uh, which is entering its tenth and last season to help with the load of doing the Smurfs, which had ballooned to about an hour about this time, as well as some other shows, Hanna-Barbera founds a studio in the Philippines called Phil's Cartoon, F-I-L-S Cartoon, which is the, which, if you look across the entire Darkwater timeline, they're in every level of production. To help out with the first five episodes, they contract uh, Cuckoo's Nest, which I think is a different name, uh, and Wang Studios, which is still, Wang Studios is still around. The other one uh, lasted till about 2000. But those are bigger name studios. Like Wang Shu Studios actually did work for Disney and other production companies and some animes and some stuff like that. Whereas Phil's Cartoon, if you look in their track record IMDb, they get fired a lot because they're terrible. But that's basically Hanna-Barbera's own house studio at the time like they basically own most of it and it's terrible and that's where most of the terrible stuff comes from and the reason why we're going to see a big quality dip between five and six is because see episodes one through five they outsource it to a different studios as well as phil's from six on it's nothing but phil's oh okay uh now i can't find any solid evidence but i'm curious about this um, I'm looking at the list of studios that Wikipedia at least start, uh, has because they have like they have Tama, they have Mr. Big, um, also have Madhouse listed as an animation, like helping animation. I'm curious what they did. I think that's uh, if that's on Wikipedia, it, it's not agreeing with IMDb. Wang Shu Studios is the is the link between 
those. Like Wang is the studio that helps out with the first five episodes and they work with everybody like Disney, Madhouse and the rest of them. Yeah, they have. But, a, yeah, they have like an others and then like it's listed Madhouse, Inc., Big Star Enterprises and Candy, uh, Candy Cartoons. Yeah, I, I think uh, I mean, I can do some more digging, but really the common thing here is Phil's cartoon is a joint. Hanna-Barbera owns part of that studio and they were farming a lot of work to it. And that's the name that's going to come up. Everyone else is probably someone to come emergency. And later, I guess, when we talk about the last season, we can talk about the production problems that wound up it off the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. Also, like, I think I'll, that might actually be my thing when I, it comes to my turn. But uh, yeah. Uh, Actually, do you have anything else you want to? Oh no, add no, to that? I, I I was done a while ago. Okay, just wanted to check. Uh, <laughs> Rafferty. I mean, like to build on to build on the weirdness we were seeing here. Um, I just want to say my one big review of Dark Water is they don't make cartoons like this anymore. <laughs> and I mean, that is true. That is true. That's both a positive and a negative because I think this is the last gasp you're going to see of Hanna Barbera style storytelling. Uh, like, I agree with Axe that there's this weird thing where they often seem like they're out of breath. Like, they have so much they want to say and get done so quickly that you can't pause to enjoy any of it. And then there are other episodes where it seems like they're filling for time. It's got very strange pacing. Uh, like, yeah, and uh, like, like, this show could only have come out in this window because they started it in 89. Uh, and two... Like, a couple of huge things are about to happen in the 90s. In 91, you're going to have um, uh, Batman Animated Series, which is the next thing I would compare this to. Another young adult series that's action-oriented that tries to push the envelope because they want to start punching people and having violence, and it actually has guns in it. So it's like Dark Water, where it's also... Because Dark Water, in like the 90s, it, you didn't have a show with swords and violence and freaking on-screen character death. Because there's at least I, one I still love the fart gun. The fart, the fart gun is one of my favorites, but there's also like the guy visibly by dark water. Yeah. Um, yeah, just they're, fucking they're, devoured wholesale. Right. So they're trying, uh, you know, to push what they can get away with with young adult. Plus also there's some, some level of continuity. I mean, not a lot, but they're trying for it. So, um. There definitely is in the first five episodes. Yeah, Those it, actually like flow from one to the other. It right. actually reminded me of because I didn't realize until actually until we got to episode six. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when we were watching that. How the first five episodes have this continuity, uh, but then I was looking at kind of the episode, uh, like the just the synopsis that was on Wikipedia in a, I think another site. I think it was IMDb, um, and it's like, oh, it's just a completely different thing every episode. Well, it like TMNT. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. Both Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Dark Water started as a mini-series event that they promoted. So the reason why there's continuity in the first few episodes is because they made them have some sort of continuity. I guess maybe if they want to do a video, I don't know. But they did that with continuity, and then you're right. Then later they go to a more episodic format. So, uh, yeah. Um, it's just like, like, I guess I need to get this out of the way. I can't stop thinking about One Piece. Okay. And, uh, I, I can't stop thinking about, like, not only does the Bruce Tim come out, but also 
anime is about to come. By the time this show airs in the U.S., all of Dragon Ball uh, has already aired in Japan, and they're already starting work on Dragon Ball Z. And so anime is about to show up in the 90s and it's going to, uh, like a much purer version of anime, like not the Robotech-type sanitized stuff. Like eventually they're going to start airing just Pokemon, just flat-out Pokemon, uh, and, 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 you know, not... Well, I guess they renamed Ash, but moving on. Uh, hey, yeah, Pokemon, Sailor Moon, and eventually Dragon Ball Right, Z Sailor Moon. Basically, you know, and then Yu-Gi-Oh! It, it, it's going to be, instead of Saturday morning cartoon programming being, you know, Hanna-Barbera used to dominate. Like, in the 80s, Hanna-Barbera was a big major player. But the 90s come around, uh, you know, you're going to have, they have a lot of competition. The show could only be in that window. It's the last gasp of that kind of storytelling where action sequences are weird like people keep shoving each other over and they seem to move both too fast and not enough and you're not sure where people are standing i mean you compare this to like batman where there's a lot of effort in the state or you can compare this to an anime like when an anime has cost cutting moves like we kept talking about over animated but i'm sure we've all seen the anime where um you know there's a detailed background and a slow pan and people just talk and they don't even show people's faces when they talk. There's all those, like, you know, Dragon Ball things where just someone's sitting there flapping their gums. But they use that they to build a sort of cadence where you can still get, like, action beats. Like, Dragon Ball will have people standing around talking and then a well-animated ac action sequence. Because they'll be spending some of their effort on some things and some of them not on others. You want something like Dark Water, and they're animating everything. Like, if two people are just standing there talking, it's not enough for them to sit there. They have to turn their heads, they have to flop, sometimes they spin for no reason. There's a, they, they put so much animation into the nothing scenes that it's almost, like, exhausting, and it's also weird because it's not well animated. Everyone's all mushy, and, and it, it's this weird thing where they want to be really clever and expensive, but they're just they're still doing the Hanna-Barbera type jank where they're just putting too much effort into everything and they don't have the skill to pull it off. They would have been a lot better off if they had started picking up on some of the cost-cutting moves that we would see later in Batman or anime. But this is 1989, uh, uh, or eventually the 91. Hanna-Barbera, I think, still thinks they rule the roost. So, I, mean, I just want to say, like, I really wanted to like Dark Water, but that and the fact that the anime doesn't look uh it, it just seems misguided to me it is like this weird mixture of like kind of sloppy while at the same time over exaggerated and over animated and it's it's strange well you, you can see the big jump between like in episodes one through five there's a lot of medium shots and close-up shots so there'll be two characters close together in the same scene and i think that might be the pro the producer of this is david kirshner who also he just produced the two American Tale movies, worked on them and scripted and produced and all that kind of stuff. So I think he was trying, like, I think they're going for a kind of Disney vibe because in, I could see it in the storyboards where the two characters are close up and talking to each other and moving. But if this was, if this was animated by a Don Bluth or a Disney studio, this would probably look pretty good. But then they handed it off to this Filipino studio or whatever who uh, they're just, like, making everybody mush mouth like a Rugrats cartoon. And, and they won't stop moving, uh, that, you know, this must have looked great on the script and just looks terrible uh, in the shooting. So, um, 
and, and that all disappears. But you know, you may have noticed by episode six, that's all gone. They don't have two characters in a bizarre parallax medium shot. They're back to everyone walks on a straight line. People, you'll see the backs of people's heads as they talk. The animation's a lot stiffer, but it's also not as weird. I mean, you'll see all that disappear and they'll go back to the turbo team. How dare you bring that up? So, I mean, that, that, that's my big observation. Of, I mean, but I guess if I don't want for the animation, I mean, we like the script, right? Uh, what, what's Torpid got to say? That is yep. a good question. What does yep. Torpid have to say? I wonder. Um, yep. So I, I had fun. Uh, there's definitely some issues. Uh, God. Um, so I'd never seen this before. So this is all new to me. Uh, much like Lolo. I, I had heard about it. I'd heard people talk about it, say good things. And like, I enjoyed it. I had fun. Though I, I still don't quite see the hype. But uh, it, it is a fascinating show that could not have existed any other point in time. Uh, for any number of reasons. And yeah, Rafferty saying that just made me realize how much anime kind of changed the playing field for uh animation over here uh but really i guess i'll I'll talk more about the characters first because there's the three main characters who just kind of end up appearing together within like the first 10 minutes it just happens after the main character stops his fucking job at the lighthouse or whatever finds out about his big adventure watches godzilla get fucked up and dragged away by pirates because that happened uh, he just immediately goes to a tavern. First thing he does, talk about fucking amazing treasure. And the second character, whose name I already forgot. Ayaz. Ayaz appears. They steal a boat together. And all of a sudden, uh, the lady whose name I also forgot. Tula. Tula. Tula just appears on the fucking boat and you have your cast. Also the mascot character who sucks ass. Nidler. Yeah. Yeah, I'm who also gonna... like turns coat like the first two minutes he is only competent when the plot needs him to be otherwise he's a fucking simpering idiot yeah and coward like there are times where he's he's brave and then there's other times where he's a complete coward he is hannah barbera mascot character in its purest form yep he's the yep. most hannah barbera and it's frank welker voicing him you can't get much more hannah barbera than that oh jesus treasure 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 uh and... the ancient treasure uh, so the main characters are brave idiot prince, uh, super sexist pirate who loves being a pirate, and the girl. <laughs> I can't really say much more about their personalities aside from that. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, like Tula is your quintessential heroine from like the late '80s, early '90s, and these sorts of cartoons, which is. Uh, strong-willed, kicks ass, all that, but still the lady character. Just the sole lady character, actually. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think we all will agree that one place it does shine, though, is um, the production design. The the Every place looks unique, and no other... Sh this doesn't look like any other show. No, it, it's and I agree with that 100%. It it has a look all its own. Yeah, like not that... just the locations, just all of the designs for the characters and like the boats and everything are very unique. That that character designer was going ham on this show, like I mean, man. Just the 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 ship, the Maelstrom Bloth ship alone, had 
just a ridiculous amount of character to it. And each character was distinguishable from the others. Like, there's no... All of them had a unique profile, yeah. Yeah. Even the background characters, you could still distinguish them from each other. It wasn't, you know, there's no repetition. There was no um, blobbing uh, of characters. It's, it's, it's just everybody kind of stands out, which, again, is one of the bigger highlights of the show. Yeah, the, the art direction, at the very least, was, was very unique and very interesting. Uh, and also, they, they played a lot with color, uh, too. Uh, so, like, there were a lot of, like, oranges and purples and all that. And it, it lended sort of to the look to yeah. like, more than just, like, your basic colors. See, to me, it's, it's the last gasp of the 1980s. Because if you look at, like, old Dungeons & Dragons stuff, you know, it was all big, flat, garish colors. And I, I pointed out some parallels, like... Rodney Matthews, uh, um, uh, Peter Andrew Jones, and some of the other artists of that period that would use all these big, bright, colorful contrasts. And that's why I said the, another reason why this is the last time, because after this in the 90s, fantasy is going to become very brown and gray uh, and, you know, going to, like, get and mired. Brown, gray, and green. Yeah, but a lot of brown. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you'll see it in the fantasy games where the video games where it's a lot of brown and everyone's going to be wearing leather armor and then World of Warcraft's going to come out later and be all blocky and stuff. But I mean, like, just, like, fantasy doesn't look like that. Like, if somebody launched a fantasy in the 90s or even today, they wouldn't use this color scheme. Today, they would have c computer coloring so it would look less like She-Ra of the 80s and more like She-Ra of the 2010s because they would have lots of pastel colors because they have access to that whereas uh this show uh is still paint and trace they're still using physical paints and inks so they're limited to what they can use which is why they have a lot of garish colors and also it's only going to show up on your 360p or 480p television set so they want to have harsh contrast so you can make stuff out um it's still I, I guess I'm just itching here because I'm thinking, man, I would love to see this show get a reboot and see what people uh, actually, would do with it. So when three of us were watching it together, uh, I had actually mentioned that is I would love to see this show like rebooted with like modern sensibilities and modern like animation. I just want an ending. <laughs> well, because like, uh, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were influenced by stuff like He-Man. Like if you watch some shows like He-Man or She-Ra, they also. Uh, tended to spend a lot on the backgrounds because you know, the background statics you don't have to do that much and they would also have the huge garish colors i don't think they're as inspired as dark water is but you can also when we talked about reboots you can see that when she-ra picked up uh did the reboot they did a pretty good job of it it's also a he-man reboot but i guess we should talk about dark water yeah uh, I, I will say also the the painted backgrounds were very nice just in general they were very unique and very nice looking uh, and also the main character radiated powerful himbo energy. Yeah. It was very dumb, but very attractive. Yes. And very kind. Uh, Much, but, yes. Very naive. The, oh, dear lord, was he fucking stupid as shit. Oh my he, god, he was dumber than a sack of bricks. You talked about the characters being distinctive. That's another thing I like about these kind of fantasy shows, like when they go to... Well, it wasn't Jarda. What's the name of Monkey Bird Island? Uh... uh Pandawa or something like that. Yeah, like Pandaren or that. So, um, yeah, people are ready. Um, but when they go there, like, when there's crowd scenes and that kind of stuff, there's all these just weird humanoids just wandering around because it's a fantasy. 
And so, yeah. like, I love that kind of stuff where things look weird. And you have weird, and they don't have to explain any of it. It's like it's a fantasy. Even, the, even like, in the intro, they even say it's a strange, like an alien world. The whatever yeah, the name, Mur. the alien world of Mur. Uh, also, yeah. Endorus is the name of the monkey or of the. Thank you. Or wait, no, or God damn it, Pandora. No, Pan- it was Pandora. It was Pandora. Pandora. I was right. Okay, uh, right. I was, I was I was confusing the Monkey Island island with the giant ass tree island. Yeah, and they and they do even a nice effort of like uh, the monkey. Well, the monkey birds are colorful, but they do a nice effort of making them all look different. Uh, when when the show went to a different location, you could immediately tell visually I'm in a different place. It was a very strong. I like what we kept trying to to figure out how they fit all those people into the tree. <laughs> yeah. There's just look, no it way. It was bigger on the inside. It was bigger on the <laughs> it's inside. Bigger on the inside. Well, notice that's also episode six. So that's the new team. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, no, the, that was Pandawa, wasn't it? That we were talking about the tree, or was it? That's Andorra. Pandawa is Monkey Bird Island. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. Well, they also lived in the trees, but regardless. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was that was episode six, which was season two, and that's where. Uh, regardless, though, my my other thing is particularly for the first five episodes, uh, I do want to talk about the pacing because we need to talk about it a little bit, but I, I want to talk about it more because there was no fucking room to breathe in those first five episodes. Like I felt like I was missing a lot because they could have easily split most of those episodes into like two or three episodes, but they crammed them all into one, and it was relentless in its pacing. Like it was non fucking stop. You would have entire like what felt like larger plot lines started and solved in the same episode and like you feel like you miss steps in between because it was so fast yeah if i were to be a critic if i were to be critical because i i really like this show i like this show a whole lot and sometimes when i like something it's hard for me to be critical but i i completely agree that they they if and i wonder if it's just something to do with the 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 production schedule uh that they ended up throwing it all into into one episode but they they absolutely could have gotten away with doing two or three episodes for particular plots and it was it felt like it couldn't breathe sometimes while watching those first episodes if that makes sense it feels like they the thing that it made me feel like was that they had a like they, someone had a vision that they knew that this series is going to get canceled early, so they need to go as <laughs> fast as humanly possible to get their their story across. It's kind of like Legend of Korra. Legend of Korra's first season was done with the intent that it was going to be the only season. There wasn't going to be anything more after it, and then that sort of kept on when they got a second, a third, a fourth season. And it almost feels like that's how parts of Darkwater was was developed was with the knowledge of being. This is only going to last a couple episodes, so let's get the most out of it. Yep, and there's evidence to back that up because um, first Perfect of all, it starts as, uh, yeah, it, it starts as a mini series, so it, it was like the uh, they didn't know how well it was going to you know rate, uh, so they did that, and they went back and edited the mini series too. Like they changed, they made slight changes to the ending of the fifth episode when it originally aired. They didn't have all like six of them on the on the ship. They only had like three of them, so they decided they should put the other characters in because they're recurring. But um, uh, from what I can read from the reports, this show had a very strong ratings, like which means they might have been surprised or something. But also, when you're running an animation studio, like I said, there's this window here where Hanna Barbera has 
uh, part interest in a, in an overseas animation studio that at the time is already notorious for putting out crappy product. So if Hanna-Barbera doesn't give these guys something to do, that studio is going to go under and they won't be able to use it for their other shows like Wattcats and Captain Planet. So um, they need to keep these people employed and keep the, the studio afloat. So they, they well, let's go ahead and make five episodes because that's what we have the money for. That's a lot of this like animation stuff's hand to mouth where they, they're just take whatever work we can to keep us open. And if we last longer, we can. So there's probably a lot of that going on there where they did those first episodes. And there is evidence to show that after they were making more episodes, the reason why they only get eight out of the 13 treasures is because they started to draw it out more when they thought they would have more legs to the show. Yeah. Um, and literally the first episode alone is they establish the plot line, get the main character out of his comfort zone, get the full crew and the boat and get the first treasure. And it just feels like there are steps you are missing in between all of these because it all happens within 20 minutes. Yeah, that's why I compared it to an anime because um, they don't take any time to breathe or, or to uh, like an anime might luxuriate in the setting. Like you might get two or three setup shots where they'll slowly track over a background. Like when we're in the city of, uh, I forget what they call the cave people. I want to call them the albines because they're a ripoff of Alcatraz albines. But like in something like that, you might, if it was an anime, you might expect an establishing shot of the city and then a medium shot that you know pans slightly over the palace, and then an interior shot that shows them in the palace, and then they'd be talking to, you know, or the voiceover would start, and they'd be talking to the king, and it would be slowly brought in, and you could go ahead and watch what was going on and enjoy the visuals. But a show like this, it doesn't... I guess because... The, I think it's because they're Hanna-Barbera. They think if they're not constantly showing you motion, and constantly showing you things that you'll get bored and put down your bowl of cereal and wander outside or change the channel or something. They're just breathless about it because a lot of other Anna Barbera shows uh, or shows at the time are just like this, where they don't stop for nothing and they never pause to soak in their visuals. And that's a real shame with a show like Dark Water because it's got that awesome art direction. I would love to see slow pans of these kinds of cities and stuff. I'd well, love to just... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm done. Was like, well, it was nice, like, during some of the... At the very least, like, there were a handful of, like, brief, brief respites where they're just sailing along, and you can really take in the strange alien scenery, and it's really neat. Like, just the strange mossy pillars jutting out of the fucking ocean as they're sailing along. Yeah! Like, there's that scene where they're in that ocean where pillars of rock just bust up and then sink. And you're thinking, like, if this was an anime, they would have, like, shown the ship going towards one, shown one of those bouncing up oh we're gonna hit it quick hit the wheel and they would like draw it out and make it big and dramatic in this show it shows up as an afterthought and and i really will quickly want to mention you already mentioned the boat that eats other boats so the villains in the show have a floating city like their boat is so huge that they have like an underclass that never sees the sun that lives inside it and they're they have a gate on their ship that can eat other ones and they have a working sewer, sewer system. There's a sewer in the boat. Right. And, and it, it's so beautiful. But it they never, like, give you the proper scale. They, they just needed to spend, like, a minute or two establishing 
the sheer immensity and frightening of this ship. But they're in so much of a hurry that they never do that. It robs the show of a lot of its power because these villains can be really scary. It it is like it would have been nice, yeah, to establish like more of the setting and all that too. Just really allow itself to just soak in and everything, but it it just everything goes by so quickly. Or like when they get the first treasure, there was that really neat sort of like stretch of ocean with the waterfalls on either side, and they just fucking tear ass through it. And not even through it, they jump off of it at one point. Up yeah. there, their boat flies. Yeah. We did not steal this from the Roger Dean Fragile album cover. It's fine. We never touch on it again. Yep. And it comes up again. Yeah. There's a lot of kind not wasted potential, but there's a lot of like, you really over-designed this, didn't you? Like, if you're like, I'm like, I'm sure someone like people probably just put their like, oh, what if they did like this kind of it's like it's like that um trying describing a very simple scene or a scene that really doesn't need to be super elaborate, but then they over elaborate on it. And I'm like, man, I really like, you really didn't need to go to all that effort. Um, I, I just wanted them to luxuriate in it. Like, like there's yeah. just some scenes in this that just pop out to me of like, this is only in dark water, but the show itself just feels like it has to rush right through it. I, I, yeah, it, it is almost like it's afraid to slow down and take it all in. Yeah. And I have a feeling like if you watch other action shows, like, well, Thunder the Barbarian, I think, would be a big one about. There's also like Goldie Gold and Action Jack, another show that uses the same techniques from this time period. Almost all of the young adult action series are like this. They, they don't pause for anything. They never like stop to look at anything. And most of those shows are pretty boring, so who cares? It's like wandering around a city or whatever. But a show like this just needed more time to... Uh, I do think we can all agree, the fart gun scene was well animated. That was, <laughs> that was, a, very, that was a very well animated fart gun, which, for those who haven't watched, uh, there was a gun that just looks like it has a lizard head, which you'd imagine would be like some sort of flame. No, it's not a lizard something. head. It's a lizard in a bottle. Right. And then it just breathes this sleep gas that is color green and unfortunate. Yeah, I think it's implied that it crushes the lizard and the lizard breathes a sleep gas to knock everyone out. Yep. But it has to be implied because they can't like show you that the lizard actually died because you might cry. It's kind of weird. It's a living. Can't believe you would quote the Flintstones at this time. In this Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Yeah, it's in this place. Messed up already. God. So I guess was that it? Yeah, I, I guess. I I guess then it's my turn to kind of um I, I, I thought it was alright. Like I, I enjoyed watching it. Um it 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 I don't think there's really anything else I can elaborate that hasn't been already elaborated. It's a show that it's kind of an it's like even if the plot some of the plots are not exactly the most like on a fundamental level are not the most unique uh the at least you have the fun ride of just looking at everything that is happening um because it, there's at least that going for it uh which if you're not like that is something that's like well if you're not going to be interesting story-wise if you make it art-wise i will at least be able to sit through and get to the part where your story is actually good again um and yeah 
I'm just trying to think of like the one thing that actually stood out to me um, that I found was kind of fascinating for the at least especially for the time was uh, the diversity of color of people. Um, you didn't just have like there was very few light skinned people in that show. The main character is dark skinned and I apologize if I say almond eyed but he does have a particular stylized eye design. But he's also blonde at the same time. So it's a very... And the other main characters are also, like... It's, it's a very... Uh, the ethnicity of the show is very much in doubt. I get, like, Earthsea vibes from it. I can... Yeah, I could kind of see that. Uh, now, now that. Oh, man, now that you mentioned that, like, especially you mentioned Earthsea, because I'm trying to think, like, almost like... Um, like, the descriptions of the characters in, like, um, Left Hand of Darkness. Like I think it wasn't the main character, like, isn't it dark skinned, but like white hair or something uh, like that? The ethnicity of characters in Ursula K. Le Guin novels are often very. Yeah, it, it has that vibe to it, which I found at least a little interesting. Well, um, I mean, I, this is going to sound really nerdy, but one thing I appreciated was the inversion of Campbellian monomyth. Blah. In a lot of these stories, especially kids' entertainment, especially like anime, you'll see that some kid is the chosen one, and everybody talks about how he's destined to save the world. Now, this guy in the series, he's a lighthouse keeper, or hero, like a lighthouse keeper, and when he finds out that he could get these treasures and uh, save the world, uh, even though he's the son of royalty, he never brings that up. Like, other people talk about it, but he doesn't like to bring that up. And he wants to get the treasures because he wants to save the world. And he's fighting an evil villain who, like, if I get the 13 treasures, I can rule the world. So there's nothing that says in there, like, where the hero's destined to live. Even when he talks to Godzilla in the temple and reads the poem that explains the whole thing, it's like, well, whoever finds the 13 treasures can rule all the dark water. And it's like, oh, well, I guess it should be me because I'm not a jerk who will enslave the world. So it, it's not like uh, like no one talks about how he's destined when he shows up. They don't do you're a wizard, Harry, and talk about how, you know, he's the only one who can operate this. In fact, uh, Tula will later become like the wizard character. But um, I, I appreciated that, that our heroes are supposed to overcome the odds, not because uh, of some providence they have. Like even She-Ra, she's got Eternian bloodline, so she's destined this is just some guy who showed up one day uh, and anyone can use the compass to find the treasures. So he's here to save the world because he's a hero. And I just thought that that's a good inversion. You see a lot of these shows that always talk about someone, only the pure of heart can find the Holy Grail or a special sword or whatever. I thought that was uh, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, no, as you said, like the legend itself is, it doesn't really mention any sort of chosen one or anything it's just hey there are these things the, the gems of rule or, the, or whatever they are here's what they can do and so he yeah he takes it upon himself it's not like he just sits there and waits for things to happen no he goes and makes them happen uh, at no point is he the reluctant hero saying i can't do this i'm just a kid or i need help from an elder mentor no he just says oh that's the compass i guess i'm finding the 13 treasures now uh, also, a lot of times, like, he just helps people for the sake of helping people and happens to get one of the gems. Oh, the whole monkey bird episode where um, 
yes, it's for young adults, and we're hammering that slavery is bad. And, and it's, but also, like when he shows up, he says, "Well, I have to free all the people from slavery. That's what a good person would do." And then he does it. I thought that was also pretty refreshing. That he's like, a, he's a genuinely good guy. Yeah, and like um, when Ayaz is caught uh, stealing the gold, like, and is like, "Well, your people stole from us. He needs to." face consequences he's like no i am kind of the leader here i guess i'll take the punishment for him yeah they're they're they may bicker with one another but the three main leads actually genuinely respect and look out for each other the weird yeah. thing is though that it kind of like that because like originally they're like well i hey i'm a pirate i'm going to steal things and then like there is a from like three to eleven terms of uh loyalty that it just kind of it's not like a steady build-up it is a okay i'm kind of just doing my thing and then snap okay i am dead i am going to die for ren <laughs> well pointedly the original release of the show is called dark water and technically the name pirates of dark water doesn't refer to our heroes it refers to bloth and the guys on the maelstrom it refers to the bad guys yeah i, I did notice that when I was reading up on like the wiki. Uh, to be fair, I, I will say it wasn't immediate. Uh, for a little bit, they were still doing shitty things, and he was a genuinely positive influence on them. Was the big thing. Yeah. Uh, like Ayaz was still a shitbag pirate, but he was a shitbag pirate who cared for his captain because his captain went out of his way to prove himself numerous times. It's not like he was just like. He earned that loyalty, I guess is what I'm saying. And Tula, Tula wasn't a whole hell of a lot better either. She eventually betrays the entire crew, granted for uh, specific causes that you could argue are good, but she still betrays both Ren and Ayaz uh, um, and hands uh, the compass and jewel over to Bloth. Yeah, but yeah. They, they, they established that she was doing that. I mean, spoilers, that she was doing that because... I need to save my homeland of the. Well, magic. that's why I added. That's why yeah. I added that. Yeah, and, and like, yeah. right. Ren, Ren too, like when he finds out, just holds no animosity for her or anything. He genuinely forgives her. Yeah, there, like there is the fight where Ayaz comes across um, uh, Tula like at first, and then they start to fight. Uh, but in the moment that she that Ayaz sees Ren, it's all completely forgotten. Though then again, that is when Bloth and company started to, you know, appear. Yeah, and also, once again, Ayaz, because they thought Ren was dead at one point. So, like, Ayaz was... He, he, he got booped on the head. Yeah. yeah, Ayaz was not in a great place for a while, but he genuinely wanted to do right by Ren. Yeah, like, he, he kept, kept talking dead. about ca carrying on Ren's, Ren's quest. Yeah, it was it was neat. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I remember that now. I thought that was kind of neat. They thought he was dead for a while. Once again, it happened so quickly that... It, for like an episode but uh that's not something you see a lot especially in young adult entertainment yeah in the 90s early 90s hmm. so i think we've covered a lot of ground is there anything else that anyone else wanted to cover because i think we kind of covered all the usual we talked about the characters or do we want to go into any other particular characters in depth um we didn't mention that there there are at least two two uh Two voice actors uh, in in the in the mix. Um, yeah, there's this, uh, Michael yeah, Bell, 
makes an appearance in the show of voices uh, Raziel in Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. And more famously, probably not at the time, uh, Tim Curry voicing Conk. Yeah. Uh, this series it's had... still a weird casting. It is. Hearing him do a... Like, I remember him from Muppet Treasure Island. And he was just Tim Curry in a pirate suit. That's really all there was. Here he's trying to sound like a pirate. And it's bizarre. Well, yeah, because, I mean, a Tim, Cur- Tim Curry, like, this is, what, 91, I think? Um, just kind of looking through his thing, like he wasn't like, I think we had this exact same discussion when we talked about Red October of him being in that, like yeah. he was not that he, he, the only cult thing that he, well, cult things that he did at that point, he did Clue. Um, and then he also, he was Frankenfurter. Uh, he also uh, did Legend. Yeah. Oh, he no. was also in Legend. Is, Le- is Legend, the, is that Tangerine Dream? Yes, One. the Sandrine okay, Green, yes. Tom Cruise. Right. That, that's a cult yeah. movie because okay. like only eight people saw it, but they all remember. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that one. Um, so yeah, he was a relatively more obscure actor because he hadn't even started like doing a lot of his voiceover stuff. Like he had appeared in two episodes of Roseanne, apparently. Well, yeah, actually, he was, no. Ex- excuse me. He did not appear in Roseanne at this point. Yeah, he was also, a working actor. Yeah. Also, I, I forgot that Legend of Prince Valiant got a TV show because apparently he voiced Sir Gawain in that. Yeah, um, and also, when does the Fox production of Peter Pan come out? Because he voices Captain Hook in that. I don't know. It's um, about the same time period. But yeah, there's also a there's a number of other uh, well-known uh, cartoon voice actors. You have Frank Balker that we mentioned. Uh, Peter Cullen. Uh, I believe he's Optimus Prime, right? He's a, well, he's a gazillion cartoon voice, yeah. one of which was Optimus. Optimus, because, yeah, he was... I just look at the IGC Transformers, 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 Transformers. Um, In fact, yeah, uh, a show you'll see... I mean, a lot of the Hanna-Barbera people, like Frank Welker and Peter Cullen, a lot of yeah. them this, especially a lot of Smurfs people. Yeah. Um, just remember, Smurfs had just wrapped up. Uh, also, uh, Jim Cummings was also in the... Um, a lot of people, actually, that we saw or heard in... Um, East Book One and Two for the Turbo Graphics. Uh, oh. They they were all in that. Uh, well, Team Curry wasn't in that. That would be we just we had just had Tom Saint Church instead. And we couldn't um, fi- we couldn't find Paul Eiding. So Paul Eiding also did voices in the later part. Uh, other uh, Rene, I forget how you pronounce his last name, but Rene Ajubernaw, I think, uh, voiced Cargent in a few uh, in a few episodes. Um, you also had a. Uh, just coming off of Little Mermaid, you had uh, Jody Benson, who voices Ariel as Tula. And I don't think the voice of Ayaz had done... Uh, he Okay, so the voice of Ayaz was Hector Elizondo, I think is how you pronounce it. He, and he was in a couple things, it looks like. Uh, seems like he was in Last Man Standing, was the last thing that he was in. Um, mm. Yeah, this is a lot oh, of, was, like, oh, the end of an era. This is, like, oh, the end of the Hanna-Barbera era of voice acting. Oh, I know what he is. He's uh, Dr. Bell from Monk. Okay. There, there's my point of reference for him. Wow, Dr. Bell. Is that the, the one who's in the early season? Uh, no, because... No, because that was Doc, that was Dr. Kruger because the voice act, they Dr. Kruger thing. Yeah, yeah. because he, he, the actor who played him died. But, yeah, I'm just looking through other... Um, Brock Peters as, as Bloth is really good. Uh, 
I threw a second because I saw that uh, Jim Cummings was in this. I thought that Jim Cummings was voicing Bloth because he had a he has a, a lot of energy that the uh, Saddam version of Robotnik has. Yeah, um, I, I, I can see that because I always thought Jim Cummings was unusual as Robotnik. Um, I, I, I probably should sit forward and say I also liked not only the heroes feel like good people and look out for each other. The villains in this, like, like they didn't feel a need to make them too comic. I mean, I think Kronk hang, or Kronk hangs out with two goofy guys. You don't get, but for the most part, Bloth and his other guys seem like a focused evil that that they um, talk like they know what they're doing, and they're only getting thwarted because our heroes are good, not because they felt like they had to do comic relief or stuff to send that up, which is also unusual for the time period, like because geez like you jim coming you're talking about jim cummings as robotnik in the dark sally acorn period but contrast that with the show that came before that where you've got oh god where Long robotnik, God, Baldry. yeah where, where the villains are constantly shown to be goofy and ridiculous whereas uh, dark water the the villains are creepy and and nasty and and know what they're doing yeah, they're actually competent is the thing yeah. like, they have gotten one over on ren and crew a number of times i mean conk alone got away with the compass and first uh first treasure uh for what was it like four four or five episodes it was like two or three episodes yeah yeah for for a good long period of time so like even even their dumbest you know lowest level of bad guy is still fairly competent and fairly able to you know do damage if they need to also like bloth himself is genuinely threatening and imposing yeah yes uh and i will say he is also aware of the threat that the dark water is but also he wants the fucking treasure because he wants yeah. to control the dark water he yeah exactly get rid of it. yeah and that's and i think i think bloth's bloth's uh chaoticness really makes him way more like some some villains they kind of they they goof around like oh okay I guess my second mate kind of goofed up I'll give them another chance whatever but I'll threaten them and instead the first time Conk screws up Bloth tosses him into the pit like it's and it's don't forget you know, the time that they they just had a man get fucking eaten by the dark water right yeah so like it's 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 watching these villains and feeling like yeah these are actually villains they are yeah. very very much a threat that's also the other thing that i just remember that also makes me kind of like i'm surprised that they did that uh they allude many times that the reason why conk has a peg leg is because bloff put him in the pit and he got it bitten off yeah by the uh, worms that run fights off by the constrictors which are not xenomorphs at all and they even pointed out that there's only two people who have ever escaped them ren and conk and most of conk most of they, conk, as, yeah. as they phrase it yeah um which is also great because every time they allude to that like they zoom in on it's like <laughs> oh i thought the the grim thing uh actually did this show up in an episode where they throw conk in the pit the second time and everybody takes bets whether he's gonna survive or not yeah that was this one yep yeah yeah, and they, when he comes out alive, everyone beats him up because they're mad that they lost all their. Yes, that is definitely in this set. Uh, they also yes, because that that also introduced us to the um the person who I am going to just refer to as the chess bitch, like the person who is strapped on the front of the car in like a Mad Max. You just have this person who is just strapped to the chest for some reason. And that's like, uh, that's I think it's Bloth's right hand, his man? advisor or whatever. Yeah. 
I forget his name. It's just great. Yeah, every- yeah, he just has this fucking like little gremlin of a man who's tied up to this chest and carries it and around. It's just how nonchalant he is because eventually he gets kidnapped by a guy they meet at the tavern, basically an old friend of Ayaz. Uh, basically, yeah. they take him back, uh, and it's just the the like you see the guy take the chest and the guy with it, and the guy. Attached to chest is like, man, man, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm nobody talks about it. He's, he's the chest bitch. I mean, that that is why we remember this show because, like, no explanation of who this guy is, and then he's just going to disappear. He's a throwaway guy. Um, also, we were talking voice actors. I do because we talked about the other two uh, people. Uh, Ren, uh, voice actor, not hasn't done a whole lot, uh, but he has done a role that I'm sure a lot of people who are familiar with video games are familiar with. Uh, for a long time, he was the voice of Sephiroth. That is Craig Newburn. That's right. He did Sephiroth from a, a uh, it started with I think Dissidia. Pretty much the first time that Sephiroth was voiced, actually. Well, no, well, I, yeah, because the first Kingdom Hearts was Lance Bass, and then Kingdom Hearts Two was Ren's voice actor. I believe. Um, so I'm looking through, and I'm trying to see. Yeah, he he was the voice of I think Advent Children. Yeah, Advent Children was the first one. That he voiced him in. Uh, also, he had voiced in the uh, Justice League. He had voiced uh, Superman and Clark Kent. Oh, after Tim Daly left or whatever? I, George I, Newbern. I guess, yes, George Newbern. Uh, also in uh, Chicago Hope. Um, and also, before this, he had worked, uh, he had a few roles on, uh, he had a minor character on Designing Women. Yeah, so I mean, that that's common for this period that these guys don't have key roles they're doing they're doing voiceover work because it's pretty easy to do you don't have to do makeup or dress up you show up at the studio read the lines and go uh also i'll mention that he was also in uh adventures of babysitting but yes he's not thor so who cares um yeah <laughs> um so yeah um that's kind of talked about the characters mostly uh the guy at the bar like Ayaz's old friend is pretty good um but yeah, other than that, I think we've kind of touched on all the characters. And I think, unless, did anyone else have any final points that they want to bring out? Nope, I'm good. Yep. Um, well, uh, as I mentioned, uh, that's kind of, we're just focusing on the first part. Um, but we are not going to rank this quite yet because I want to watch more of this. Um, or we're going to watch more of this. Um, so we kind of want to see after this first season. Uh, how we're going so i don't know how far we're going to get and whether or not we're just going because might poke might just hop around because if it seems like they we can kind of skip continuity a little bit um because it will be nice to see some of the later episodes um but we will see about that and that will happen in about two weeks um so because in between this so after this we're uh, well i'll tell you what we're going to do after that but we're going to have a movie in between, and then we're going to return to Pirates of Darkwater. So, uh, before we head out, uh, Axe, is there anything you want to plug? Just uh, twitch.tv slash Axe Immortal. All right. Um, Rafferty? Um, well, speaking of pirates, uh, we just kickstarted for uh, our company, SanguineGames.com. We are doing a Book of Corals, which is a piracy fantasy book for our Iron Claw game. So, that'll be out real soon. All right. Uh, and Torvo. Uh, 
twitch.tv slash torpertypist and at torpertypist on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. no, I, that's, that's about it. You can All do right. it. I believe in you. I mean, do I want to, though? Yes, you do. You want, do you want to plug up the holes that are in this ship? That in this no, order, water I want to plug the gaping plot holes left by the terrible pacing. All right, fair enough. That works. Um, so, yes. <laughs> Next week, we are doing something completely different, and I'm trying to wonder how we're going to find this. So, uh, next week, we're doing Digimon the movie. Yes! Oh, man. Yes, we are! Uh, so, that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> because we're not doing the Japanese original, that's for sure. Look, I love listening to kids in America. Whoa. Playing over these Japanese children, <laughs> doing whatever. Yep. So that'll be next week. Uh, I'm sure that'll be an interesting thing because, much like this, I have never seen that. Um. But yes. Um. Yeah. That's it. That's all we're doing for this. So, thank you for listening. Hope you tune in for the next part. If you would like to look at the full list of rankings for yourself please visit r3.ldp.life and go to the Media Delta List tab. If you would like to watch Media Delta's sister show, Retro Rank Rhapsody, you can either watch at youtube.ldp.life or by tuning into twitch.tv slash lodapuzzlo at 7.30 p.m. on Fridays, 2.30 p.m. on Saturdays, and 1 p.m. on Sundays. All those times are from the Eastern U.S. time zone. If you would like to discuss this episode with the community, you can do so by joining our Discord server, which you can do so by go going to discord.ldp.life. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you tune in for our next episode.